This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, a podcast with a worldwide listenership that explores the broad world of preservation from every angle, from drones to mudlarking and everything in between. Now, let's get preserving. In 2021, 158 years after the first Juneteenth, the celebration became a federal holiday, changing the understanding and awareness of Juneteenth for millions of Americans. On this week's PreserveCast, we're talking with Dr. Dennis Doster, who runs the Black History Program for the Prince George's County Department of Parks and Recreation, about what this designation means and how Juneteenth fits into the broader American story. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we're excited to be joined by Dennis Doster, who is the Black History Program Manager at the Department of Parks and Recreation in Prince George's County, Maryland. And we're going to be talking with Dennis about the history of Juneteenth, uh, the celebration of it, the commemoration of it, how it all comes together, and and how this story is evolving even to, to this day. Um, but before we do that, I um, want to jump into a little bit about your background. So where'd you grow up, um, and how did you get into such a great um, position? What what led you on this career path, and uh, you know, did you have some spark moment that got you excited about history? Well, um, Nick, first, thank you for uh, allowing me to come here today and talk with you. Um, So I am a native Marylander, uh, born and raised in the city of Baltimore. uh, And I've lived throughout the state of Maryland, actually. So I've lived in in Baltimore. I've lived in Montgomery County. I've lived in Prince George's County. So I've got a little bit of taste of all that the state of Maryland has to offer. Um, And in terms of how I got into this field. So um, I I think probably in the back of my mind, I always had a a secret love or passion for historic sites and museums. Um, I really must credit my parents for um, taking me to museums and historic sites as as a a young child and as an adolescent. I can vividly remember trips. We went to to Richmond and we went to these historic sites or we went to Philadelphia, we went to Boston, went to Old North Church. And so like those are really strong memories for me. And I think that kind of was ingrained in in my mind. And so that definitely for me um, led to a passion and a desire to study history, which I did in undergrad and then uh, at undergrad at Howard University in Washington, D.C. And then from there, I proceeded to uh, graduate school at the University of Maryland in College Park, where I, I worked on my doctorate in history with uh, what I thought was going to be the career track, of course, of getting a Ph.D. and then entering into academia uh, and being a professor. And then um, while I was uh, working on my degree, I got my first job working as a public historian. And so I worked for the city of Alexandria um, in this office of historic Alexandria. And I worked specifically at the Alexandria Black History Museum. So in uh, Virginia. And uh, from that experience on, I I was hooked with the public history and uh, museum realm. Um, Working in a small museum is definitely uh, gives you a, a, a great uh, taste of the expansive nature of public history. And so in a small museum, you have to wear a lot of different hats. So did research, did writing, did um, exhibitions, uh, did um, collections work, uh, training volunteers, running a museum gift shop. So uh, kind of checking all the boxes. And so that really is what, uh, you know, as you said, what sparks me entering into the field. And so um, 
ultimately when I, I, uh, I grad, I interned there for, um, about for a summer and then transitioned to working there. Um, and then, um, as I finished my graduate degree, I, I began looking for teaching jobs, but I also began looking for jobs in the museum field. And that kind of led me to, um, my current position with, uh, Department of Parks and Recreation, Prince George's County, um, which is part of the Maryland National Capital Park and Planning Commission. And so I run uh, an office which is very much like a museum. We don't have a traditional museum structure, but we do everything that a museum does for Prince George's County. And so we do exhibitions, we do research, we do programming, we have a collections, and then we also um, oversee four historic sites uh, spread throughout the county, which uh, in some way touch on um, African American history and culture. It's a it's a, a fascinating kind of line of work. Um, how big is your staff, and how long have you been there? Um, so I have been here for about six and a half years, um, and uh, we have, like I said before, I got my start working in a small museum, so. Uh, I'm still kind of in, it's a large organization, but I'm still kind of in the small museum realm. And so I have a staff of, uh, it's three full-time employees. And then we have um, a, a part-time staff that that ranges uh, from time to time, but we have uh, about three right now. And for people who are listening, we have a lot of listeners around the country, around the world for that matter. Um, tell us where Prince George's County is and what Prince George's County you know, what, what is it like? Where, where is it located and what kind of a community is it? How would you describe it? Uh, so Prince George's County is it has a very interesting history. I, I'll say it real briefly. So um, Prince George's County borders uh, Washington, D.C. So it is very much culturally and economically tied to the nation's capital. And, and definitely a lot of federal government workers live in Prince George's County. Um, and so um, during uh, the era of slavery, uh, the majority of the population in Prince George's County was Black, and the majority of those individuals were enslaved. So during that time period, uh, Prince George's County did have a Black majority. After the end of slavery, uh, the numbers reversed, and so Blacks were in the minority and um, uh, Whites were in the majority in this county, and so those numbers kept uh, dipping lower and lower as we moved further and further away from slavery, and that kind of changed in the mid-20th century, and there was a reverse um, for a number of reasons. And, and, and now it gets us to the place today where we have a black majority again in Prince George's County. I think it's around 65% um, of the county is African-American and uh, Prince George's County is the most affluent majority black county in the nation. And so it does have that interesting uh, thing there. So we have a lot of black business owners, a lot of uh, members of the black middle class, black politicians. Uh, we have our first um, black uh, woman who is the county executive, uh, Angela Olsenbrook. So um, that kind of just paints a picture of what uh, Prince George's County is is like a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, you, you could we could spend a whole podcast just talking about it. It's a fascinating place, and and you're right. It's it's got just a fascinating kind of history of changes and um, different groups, and uh, it's a it's a unique it's a unique place. Um, not only in the state, but really even as you mentioned in the country. So let's take a step back. We want to talk about Juneteenth, um, just because. Um, there's there's such a focus on it right now as there should be, um, and we're coming up on this year where it's you know now is officially it was before, but this is this is the year when I think a lot of organizations and companies will be giving off, and you know it's uh it's you know sort of enshrined now on the calendar. So 
let's talk about it, though. What, what is the story of Juneteenth? For people who maybe aren't familiar, people living overseas, um, let's talk about Juneteenth, and then we'll talk about when it was celebrated and perhaps what we know about its celebration in Maryland, um, where you're based. But let's let's talk about it. So what what is Juneteenth? Um, and, and also, why does it matter? Yeah, so uh, on the most basic level, Juneteenth, uh, the word is a, a mix of two words, June and 19, 19th. And so uh, Juneteenth is the holiday that commemorates when Union General uh, Gordon Granger uh, entered into Galveston, Texas, and informed the enslaved individuals there that they were actually no longer enslaved per the terms of the Emancipation Proclamation. So he enters Galveston June 19th, 1865. And actually the Emancipation Proclamation had actually been in effect by that time for over two years because the Emancipation Proclamation had gone into effect uh, January 1st, 1863. So kind of on the most basic level, that's what Juneteenth is. Uh, And so um, that is considered the first Juneteenth. And that's when uh, African-Americans in uh, Texas and in that part of Texas, and then of course it's spread in other areas of Texas, um, began celebrating that date, that date as as the time period when African-Americans were finally free from enslavement um, and were able to at least hopefully they were aspiring to enjoy all of the rights of citizenship that others enjoyed uh, in the United States. Uh, and of course, we know that that's been a long and, and ongoing struggle and something that we're still uh, encountering and, and, and facing today. But that kind of was the beginning of uh, Juneteenth. And so how soon after that first moment in Galveston do other black communities around the country start picking it up? Is it is it soon thereafter? Is it within the next year? What do, what do we know about how that spreads as a as a celebration of emancipation? Yeah, no, I, I just important. I'm glad you you asked that question and such an important question. I and I always want to emphasize to people that when we talk about Juneteenth, and particularly in those early days, we're talking about specifically a celebration that takes place in Texas, but it's a part of a a broader category of celebrations that we call emancipation uh, celebrations. And so even today, as we talk about the national holiday and we talk about a lot of times we talk about the history of General Granger and coming into Texas, it's so important to put it in the context of this was just one example of a much broader category of celebrations that were known as Emancipation Day celebrations. And so the Emancipation Day celebrations uh, began, you know, as early as we have records, of course, in 1862 and uh uh, African-American community in Washington, D.C. was celebrating emancipation because in April of 1862, there was uh, the, the outlawing of slavery within the District of Columbia. Um, and then we have, you know, a number of other uh, dates and times where this where these types of celebrations occur. And so, um, for example, April of uh, 1865 is when the Union Army enters into to Richmond and then soon after the Civil War ends. And so for years afterwards, uh, African-Americans in Richmond celebrated Emancipation Day in April uh, every year. Um, so a lot of like, a lot of uh, examples of that. And probably the vast majority of emancipation celebrations fall within two times of year, either they're in January or they're in September. And both of those dates correspond with um, 
uh, events around the Emancipation Proclamation. So January 1st, 1863 being when the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect and September being when it was actually drafted and released. And so those being kind of the more popular dates that we see where we have these emancipation celebrations. And then, of course, in Maryland, I, I can't um, not say that Maryland, we have November uh, 1st being an important date of uh, emancipation celebrations because November 4th, 1864 was when the state constitution, uh, the new state constitution in the state of Maryland was a pass which abolished slavery. So um, because Maryland was a border state and because Maryland did not secede during the Civil War, uh, African-Americans enslaved in Maryland were not subject to the provisions of the Emancipation Proclamation. And so the state, it's not until the state new state constitution, which explicitly abolishes slavery, that slavery ends in um, the state of Maryland. And of course, all of this is prior to the 13th Amendment, which officially uh, abolishes slavery, uh, except for in cases of uh, in, uh, punishment. Uh, so that that happens in December of uh, 1865. So I feel like in some ways, me even having to ask the question, you know, oh, tell us about Juneteenth. How does it work? Th- that there is so much confusion about it suggests that there's this disconnect between white America and black America, right? Like celebrating this, this being this big thing. And now people will be like, wow, what is Juneteenth? Right? Like mm-hmm. we're actually, yeah. we're just even asking this question. What happened? Is there a, is there a sense for what happened? Like the, the celebration of emancipating four and a half million enslaved people to me seems like it should be something that everybody celebrated, but it seems like there was a divergence after the war where that became a black holiday and like white America hasn't even like, recognized it until almost this moment. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, and I wonder what, what happened there? Is there a sense for, and was this something that continued to be celebrated or was it, did it kind of drop off and pick back up or has it been sort of a mainstay on the black calendar since the 1860s? Mm -hmm. No, I mean, definitely, um, as you put it, and I think is very, appropriately put that way, you know, asked, was this a black holiday? And the, and the short answer is yes, for the longest time, it was just a black holiday because um, the majority of these emancipation celebrations were happening where? In the South, where people had been formerly enslaved. And so the the majority in that society, the, the white majority in the, in those society or the whites in, in uh, dominance in the society were weren't happy about emancipation overwhelmingly. They were the ones who were fighting in the Confederacy to to continue this system or at least continue for the right to practice this uh, system of enslavement. So it very much was something that was concentrated within the Black community and was for the Black community. And so Juneteenth and all of these other Emancipation Day uh, celebrations were about the Black community coming together and celebrating kind of where they had come from, celebrating family and culture, but also a lot of them had uh, political components as well. And so they're, they're you know, um, thinking about what do we do now? How do we go to that next step and in order to secure the full rights of citizenship? Because, of, of course, um, there was a whole nother kind of war to be fought after the Civil War in order to get those rights. And so definitely, I think that that is you know part of the reason why so many people um, outside the Black community were not aware. And to to the other part of your statement about 
kind of the ebbs and flows of Juneteenth and all of these other emancipation uh, celebrations, there were um, inevitably there were these kind of ebbs and flows in, in terms of who celebrated it and when so when they were celebrated. Um, I think the case of Juneteenth uh, and in Texas is probably a case of where you have a more consistent celebration of, of that. Um, whereas if you look at probably at some other communities and look at these emancipation celebrations, we see more of a, a decline. And so there's a variety of reasons that we probably uh, could point to for that. So as we move, you know, decades from the end of slavery into the early 1900s, of course, we have those who were actually formerly enslaved, those who had that personal connection to slavery dying off. And so that results in some drop off. We have more movement of African-Americans and movement of African-Americans out the South. And so that also probably is another reason that we can point to kind of of the ebbs and flows. And then definitely if we look in the South, we see uh, the advancement of Jim Crow from the 1890s into the early 1900s. And so more and more official legislation being passed to curtail the rights of African-Americans. And, and part of that is curtailing their access to public spaces. And so, whereas you might've seen uh, previously, a large parade, for example, in, in Richmond in April, the Black, I think there's a famous picture of African-Americans marching down Broad Street. Like, you might not see that, you know, a decade afterwards because of all these laws that are being passed to restrict African-American rights. Why don't we take a quick break here? And then when we come back, let's talk about how the narrative is changing now that it's become a national holiday and what this means for public historians, historic sites, um, and the work that you're doing. And we'll do that right here in PreserveCast. Historic preservation can't happen without skilled tradespeople to perform the work. And there's a critical need right now for those tradespeople. The Campaign for Historic Trades, powered by Preservation Maryland, is working to meet that need by strengthening apprenticeship opportunities within historic trades. In partnership with the National Park Service's Historic Preservation Training Center and Conservation Legacy, the campaign is currently recruiting for NPS Traditional Trades Apprenticeship Program, or TTAP. TTAP is an intensive 20-week apprenticeship that provides young adults the chance to learn historic trade skills while working on America's most iconic historic sites. Multiple positions are open for the 2022 season at national parks across the country. Visit historictrades.org for more information on TTAP and how to apply today. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. We're joined by Dennis Doster, who is the Black History Program Manager at the Department of Parks and Recreation in Prince George's County, Maryland. We've been having a really great conversation um, and just eye-opening about Juneteenth, the history of it, the ebbs and flows of it, how it how it was celebrated, um, and the importance of it. Um, to all Americans. Um, so, you know, within the past year now, I guess, year and a half, uh, it has become, you know, an actual national holiday. It's on the calendar. How do you think that that's going to, I mean, we don't, nobody really knows, but I'm just curious, how do you think that that will change the perception of this? Will this become, you know, and, and does this help sort of cement the celebration? Where do you think that this goes? I mean, given as somebody who thinks about this a lot and does programs around it, how do you think it becoming a national holiday will change the conversation around it? I, it will, you know, greatly change it and make more people aware, more people want to participate. And I mean, we've already um, seen that. So I have had, um, during my tenure here, had the opportunity to chair 
um, a Juneteenth, the Juneteenth uh, festival for Prince George's County. Um, and so even during that time, my time here, so the past uh, about six and a half years, I've seen increased interest. So even before kind of this pandemic, and then definitely as we got into the pandemic and with the events of 2020, you know, particularly George Floyd, and they're kind of being more interest and eyes on uh, race and how it operates in our society and, and social justice and racial equity, more and more people want to know more about African-American history and African-American culture. And that was across races. So more African-Americans wanting to know more about their community and others, you know, other races wanting to know as well. And so we've already seen that interest prior to it becoming a federal holiday. And then uh, once it became the federal holiday last year, they just kind of took it to a whole new level of uh, interest with the people reaching out to to us and my office and seeing what, uh, what what are you all doing we're pl planning to do this can we partner with you uh and so all of those questions and all that energy and interest we've definitely we've seen it um and so last year we were well past two years so uh, two years ago we were virtual last year we were hybrid um this year be our first year kind of opening back up to the real full festival that we usually have and so uh, likewise, I think throughout the country, other uh, organizations and sites and, and people who do Juneteenth or are starting to Juneteenth, do Juneteenth, will just experience even more interest because we're we're you know all coming out of this pandemic and uh, hoping to be able to do these types of events where we can connect with people, uh, not just virtually, but, you know, face to face and in person. So what do you have planned? I mean, I think people will be interested. You know, here here we have this really important African-American community outside of Washington, D.C. Um, uh, in Prince George's County. What is Prince George's County going to be doing? And what is the what is the history side of this look like um, for 2022? So uh, we will be doing um, our our annual festival. And so this festival will, will be in its 17th year, actually. So we've been doing this for a while uh, and pretty much what you expect when you hear the word festival, you'll see it. So there'll be a main stage with performers We're working on finalizing our lineup for that now. Um, and then we'll have, of course, food vendors, merchandise vendors and exhibitors. Uh, but within all of that, the, the, the great thing about it as it relates to what Juneteenth is and what Juneteenth is about is that we'll be celebrating African-American uh, history and culture. So in the performers that we have, the type of music will be music that links back to African-American culture. Uh, we'll be um, highlighting it through our merchandise vendors, uh, Black businesses, uh, local businesses. And so that's another way we're connecting to kind of the the uh, story and the, the, I guess, the intentions behind Juneteenth. Um, and then, of course, for us, because we're uh, kind of organizing this um, as my office, the Black History Program, but then also working with our colleagues here in the department, our colleagues in the Arts and Cultural Heritage Division, and our colleagues in the Nat Natural and Historic Resources Division, we'll be uh, highlighting um, Black history in, in, in a number of ways that probably other organizations might not have the capability to do. And so 
uh, we'll have, uh, you know, it live interpretation available for people to engage with. We have uh, a, a kind of a rendering through, uh, of, a, of a cabin of an enslaved African-American that people will be able to experience and learn about what life was like for the enslaved. We have um, our colleagues that work in our uh, archaeology program who will be out and showing people about the importance of archaeological work and uncovering African-American history um, within our department. We have a whole host of historic sites which are doing a lot of new and important work on inclusive interpretation, highlighting uh, those stories that have been ignored previously, which have been the stories of the enslaved African-American population. And so we'll have representatives from those sites who will be out kind of sharing that work with people who come uh, to the celebrations. So, so from our Marietta House Museum, our Montpelier Mansion, our Darnell's Chance House Museum, our um, Surratt House Museum, all of those sites. And so there will be this heavy history component so that we're having fun, we're, we're having good food, we're celebrating with music, but we're also giving that strong educational component as well. And I'm curious, you caught my attention with the, the, the cabin. What is the cabin and how does that that interpretive tool work? Is it an actual cabin or? Uh... It's an actual uh, cabin wood structure and, and um, we've used it for years. And so, um, and actually we're working, reworking it again to kind of expand how we use it. But it, it generally is something that people find fat, fascinating to kind of look at and kind of learn about what life was like for the enslaved on plantations. And so we're just kind of be, you know, using that, but kind of also ramping it up a bit to uh, even expand how we use that as an interpretive and educational tool. And if people want to learn more, we'll put a link in the show notes to um, the website for your department. And um, so everybody can kind of find out more and link to um, all the information about the Juneteenth celebration in Prince George's County. Um, I'm I'm curious, before you go, um, probably the most challenging question we ask of anyone, it doesn't have to be Prince George's, maybe that'll make it easier. Do you have a favorite historic place or site? Oh, <laughs> it's, asking, it's asking me to pick up favorite child. Um, I'm thinking about it, I'll, I'll, I'll name two, if I can, take okay. liberty two that come to mind. Um, and one, so one that's here in Prince George's County, and uh, it's um, it's one that I run a summer program for our for teens that focuses on Black history, and regularly take teens to the site, and they're always kind of captivated by it. And it's the Mount Calvert uh, Historical and Archaeological Park, and I think just the setting of the of the place is uh, beautiful, and it gets you to thinking uh, about what the environment was of Prince George's County decades ago, particularly when it was established. And then on top of that, you know, sitting on the river, but on top of that, also kind of the work that they do there, interpreting African-American history, Native American history, and then also the exciting archaeological work that they have done there. And they have an ongoing, uh, I think it's, it's closed right now, but they have been doing an ongoing excavation of the enslaved quarters at that site. So that, that would be one. And then I think the other one that I will highlight is one that's uh, more recently opened. Uh, but I, I I love what they've done there is the Josiah Henson uh, Museum over in Montgomery County, and they uh, and they're some of our colleagues in the Maryland National Capital Park and Planning Commission. But 
they've done great work there and it's been a long time coming for that particular site. And it's, you know, kind of right in the middle of a lot of development there and a very busy intersection. But if you, you make it there, you can just go and see kind of this gym that's kind of right in the in the middle of all of this activity that really will tell you the story of enslaved life uh, in Maryland and in Montgomery County, and particularly the story of Josiah Henson, who uh, was the model for um, Harriet Beecher Stowe's uh, Uncle Tom. Well, you've given everyone about 50 different reasons to come and visit Prince George's and the broader uh, Washington, D.C. metropolitan region. Um I uh, I really appreciate you coming on, talking with us about this um, as the as the nation gets ready to to celebrate um, our new federal holiday this year in 2022, um, and look forward to talking with you again in the future. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dennis. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to PreserveCast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening and keep on preserving.